0: We're going to move up a little bit. We started with verse 1 last week. In Acts chapter 18, we're going to be picking up with verse 7, and we're going to go to verse 18. And there's some things where they're going, we're going to have some review. Some people were not here last week. And then we're going to go in to some of the other principles here. And basically, let's start off with Acts chapter 18, verse 7. And he... Departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And he is Paul. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall settle need or hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now... About to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, but I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogues, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of these things. Verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and called thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. Now, we're gonna, that's verse 18 is an opening to, the, to a newer part of the lesson. But going back last week was a lot of review because we hadn't been talking about this for several months because of the different Sunday school classes in the summer. And we were, we were, when I was speaking, we were talking about the canonization of Scripture. Pastor Olson was in the book of Proverbs. And Pastor um, Don Britton, he also actually was in the book of Proverbs for a little while so we're getting back here, and I'd like to start up with like verses 4 to 6, a little bit of review here. We see that Paul reasoned on the Sabbath day with the Greeks and the Jews, and he gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see at this point Silas and Timothy had come back and had met with him, and he was very, very uplifted about that. And once again, the Roman Gentiles had absolutely no desire to differentiate between what type of Jew came from certain areas and what they believed. So we see already Priscilla and Aquila, we just read verse 18, they are now going to be moving on, they're basically like missionaries now, and they're going with Paul to the port of Corinth, which is Centria. and the reason is, we, we, we read initially, that Priscilla and Aquila were basically kicked out of their town. At this time, Claudius did not care whether you were a Jew or a Gentile or what kind of Christian you were, if you were basically speaking of the name of Jesus Christ, you were basically being asked to leave and put out. And we can prove that by the book of Romans, because Paul wrote the dispersed Romans, and he was encouraging them because of what had happened, and then they were called the diaspora. I found something interesting. I found something very interesting when I was reading about Gallio and some of the other people that were revolving around um, this lesson, and I have a question. I think this is very, um, very interesting. So we see, basically, that there was really no differentiation between what kind of Christian you were. When I was reading about some of the background of Gallio and his brother, I noticed something interesting in the old Encyclopedia Britannica and some of the other writings. It said here, let me read this to you. The episode involving the Apostle Paul, which occurred when Gallio was serving as proconsul of A.K.I. in 51 A.D. in Greece indicates that Roman provincial officials at the time were remaining aloof from the struggle between the Jews and the new Christian religion. Now, one king is pushing out Christians, but the proconsul was basically not allowing the Jews to persecute the Christians. But I find it interesting where it says here, the new Christian religion. I thought that was very interesting. The new Christian religion. And I read that in several other publications. What does that mean? Let's talk about that. What do you think that means? When at the time of basically the Encyclopedia Britannica probably wrote this way back in the 40s or 50s, this is called the new Christian religion. Why do you think For some of the reasons, Now think about the time period of Paul the Apostle, what's going on here in the book of Acts. This is after the Lord saved him when he was on a road to Damascus. Why was that why would it be called that? I find that interesting. Dave. What would be old Christian religion religion? Exactly. That's very important. That's a good question. Well, so what is the new Christian religion? And I think it's the same problem we're having today. Lisey. If I just I'm just thinking back to I think it's after 17 when Paul was reasoning with them, they were all willing to listen to this these new thoughts. I mean, there's all these answers that are going to be great answers. That's a great answer because what are these new things? Well, I think that there was a real problem with the understanding of what real Christianity is because if you know what real Christianity is, you know that there's no differentiation between a time period, right? There's no time that Christianity just came out of nowhere. It just never appeared. I mean, I don't think I have to tell you that. But I think that's an important question, and everything we've been learning together. Why? Why is it not new? What if somebody came and asked you, "I have heard about Jesus Christ, and I've heard about this new religion. Why is it so new, and what what, what is the history of it? I mean, what would you tell them, Dave? I tell them that before, they slaughtered animals for Right. Right, so you're now you're going back to Covenantal theology. Covenants, the old covenants. There's a there's a real problem with that, Lisi. And of course, um the well, the um yes. you know, Psalm and, and, mm-hmm. and for people that um understand that it would not be new, but for people Right.: who have no clue what's going on it's something different Right. You're onto something because I, I find something. Let's get let's get very elementary about this. Where is the name Jesus in the Old Testament? Eh, no, the absolute actual name Jesus, the the earthly name of our Lord. Where is it in the Old Testament? There's nowhere. But you're onto something also. See, as a Christian, you know that there are a lot of names in the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ. But if you've talked to somebody that has no idea, they don't see Jesus in the Old Testament. Even if they have any knowledge of the Old Testament, what they're saying here is that now in this new religion, Jesus Christ is the new religion. So basically the illusion is He was nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. That's part of what's being said. Lisey. Yes. Right. Right. Well, where did we see in the last... 50 years, Jesus became a major fad. Does anybody remember that? You have to go back a little ways. Yes. Remember Jesus Christ's superstar? Remember all of the rock stars that grew their hair out with a beard and they were trying to look like Jesus? Even John Lennon started believing in Jesus. I have a video from, um, from Ray Comfort and he did a whole thesis on John Lennon's progression of what he thought about Christ And then he basically dropped Christ right on his head. He started getting real interested, saying all these things about how I love... He was actually talking basically like Gandhi. I love the Jesus, but I don't love his followers. Kind of stuff like that. He had a beard and he had long hair. And that was a big Jesus movement. But all of a sudden now, Jesus is the new thing. Our job as Christians is to make sure people understand that Jesus was all the way in the garden. And before that, in Psalm 2... There are conversations with Jesus Christ and, our, and the Heavenly Father, the first and second person of the, of the Trinity, going all the way back into the Old Testament, all throughout the penitential Psalms, all throughout Isaiah. There are conversations. And so when this is coined as a new religion, that is a warning sign. That means the church has not done its job. And that means overall the church is not teaching that Jesus Christ is God. And I think that's something here that's very important. It needs to be woven into this because right now we're into the mind of Paul. This is what he was up against. He had no idea what he was getting himself into, but the Lord said, you keep going. Don't you hold back on what you're speaking about. Your job is to tell them who I am. And I know that because Jesus himself in the book of John, the only gospel in the whole of Scripture, in 66 books, that gives a heavenly perspective of who Jesus Christ is, is the book of John. And that is where all the I am statements are that are plugged right into Exodus chapter 3. All the I am statements. I mean, we've talked about that many, many times, and I love talking about it. Some of the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am he. All these I am statements. And basically, Jesus was here teaching people who he is. And that's the question here. What is the new religion? Well, I'll get another question for you. Have any of you heard of the New Atheism? You haven't heard of that? Oh, this is fantastic, the New Atheism. The New Atheism has a whole panel of New Atheists that have come up with all kinds of new views on how God isn't. Christopher Hitchens is one of them. That guy Hawkins, he's another one. And they all go back to John Paul Sartre and all these other ones, Camus and all them. And they've brought this whole thing together to bolster the educational societies today to prove that Jesus Christ never existed. Or if he did, he was only a man, he was only a teacher, and he was no more than any, anybody, prophet par mixtum, in the mix of all of them. And the new atheism, what I'm trying to get at here, is if you go back to Mars Hill, you go back to when we were talking about Paul, Paul was teaching them something that he was trying to teach us as Christians. Everyone's always looking for a new thing. There used to be a song in the 80s, Get High on a New Thing. They always want something new. There's got to be a new religion. There's got to be, and it's sad because in so called evangelicalism today, there's always got to be a new perspective of Jesus Christ, of who he is. And that's why I thought it was interesting to read in all these publications. New religion. This was a new religion. And what what they're trying to say here is that when Paul the Apostle was going to the Greeks and the Jews, now all of a sudden that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he resurrected from the dead, this was something new that nobody knew about. Well, that's not what Christ says. You know, you take two pivotal points of conversations in the New Testament. When Christ was witnessing to Nicodemus, he went in John 3, verses 10 and 11. He said, you are a ruler of the Jews. Don't you know these things? Don't you know the Old Testament? Don't you know the prophecies of me coming? And then you go up to the Emmaus in the end of Luke. I can't remember the chapter. It's Luke uh, 20 or something. The road to Emmaus when he's walking along. What was the question that Jesus asked Two words. Does anybody remember? What? Yes. Thank you. What things? They were talking about the things. This Jesus Christ that came and he had died and he was crucified. And they were talking about these things. He goes, what things? And then he asked him, he said, haven't you read the Old Testament? And that is what the answer is to this. People don't understand that the new Christianity is the old Christianity revealed. And it works. (laughs) you're never going to get any other new religion that works that is cohesive and has a history and has detailed proof and archaeological finds and absolute people dying over the centuries to protect it and a book that's been preserved with people's lives go down to the scriptoriums you go down to the whole I, I really do not advise you to do anything else down at the Holy Land in Orlando but to go into the scriptorium the rest of it is a joke but the scriptorian has original Bibles that have purple dots all in them with blood from some of the martyrs. They have actual Bibles and their blood, you can see it. Sadly, I wasn't able to take pictures of it because actually they said it could harm the Bibles and all. But there was purple dots all on the pages because there was, they were bleeding over the Bible when they were being tortured. I mean, what other, what other religion has that type of history and background? That's what's so important about history. Anyone else have anything to add to that or say or anything? I think that's very, very important. Paul goes right back to the synagogue. He starts here again in Corinth. And then he's going to go right into Kenshria. He's going to keep going. He's going to be publicly on the Sabbath day. He's going to be preaching. We see here Paul preaching to the Jews. And we see that he goes to the Gentiles. And he continues on and he's trying to identify. And the Lord told him specifically and remind him, you go remind and you tell them who I am. He persuaded the Jews and the Greeks, and he urges the urgency of Paul's preaching to the Corinthians, and he was persuading them in the works and persons of Jesus Christ. Um, Could I ask uh, Greg, could you look up 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read verses 18 to 24? We read verses 18 to 20 last week, but I wanted to go a little bit further. I think I think it was up, up to verse 20. Verse Corinthians, verses 1, 18 to 24. Very important, because this is what Paul is preaching here. And this is how he's differentiating this new so-called Christianity. Thank you. That's great. Thank you, Greg. What we're reading here is a compendium of basically what Paul was doing back in Corinth. He's going back and he's talking, he's telling, he writes the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And if you remember, if you read and you study, you will find out that Paul suffered from depression. There were times in his life that were very low. And basically, I think when we go back to what we're reading here in the book of Acts, and we get to the verse, verses 11, 12, and 13, and Jesus speaks to him, I think at that point, Paul was now really starting to experience some very low points in his ministry. People were not really there with him. I think he was having a hard time wondering when, when the next beating was going to be. He, at this point, if you read the history of Paul, his health is really starting to decline. He's actually starting to lose his eyesight. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. The only man I've ever heard of in the history of the world that survived the complete stoning, especially from, from the Jewish council. And there he is now getting ready to be in Corinth, and then he's got to go from there. And the Lord tells him, don't worry, be strong. And he's telling that to us. Every one of you here know in your mind what is really ailing you the most. There's something bothering you. There's something that hurts you, and there's something that's really tough. And I'm telling you, go to these verses. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall settle me to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. If you have that cloak of the protection of Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to you, this is what you have. Your spirit is protected perfectly by Jesus Christ. No matter what is hurting, I have it too. We're all there. Some of us know some of others' burdens, and we pray for them on Wednesday night. This is what Christ is trying to tell us. I will be there with you. I will. I remember when the, the last words of Stonewall Jackson, 39 years old, had a beautiful little daughter, and only got to see her a couple of times. When he got shot in his arm and he was dying, he asked the Lord to bring him over the river. He knew that the Lord was waiting for him. He wasn't going back to see his wife. He wasn't going back to see his little girl. He was going to see Jesus. And he asked the Lord to bring him over and to escort him. He was under a tree and bring him over to the river. Isn't that incredible? And we see a lot of that in the history of our country. George Washington saying how there's no education without Jesus Christ. And he believed the same thing. So he comes back from one of the wars and there's all these bullet holes in his coat. They should have been in here, not here. And he sits there and he gives all the credit to Jesus Christ because the bullets missed him. You know? And that's what Paul is trying to teach us here. And Dr. Luke writes this and he shows us how this is his mission. Paul here, he's pressed in the Spirit and he's moving forward. And the Lord told him, and getting back real quick about what happened, we talked about a little bit last week, about when he goes in and he's rejected and they're blaspheming and mocking him when he was back in Thessalonica. He goes to Corinth. The Lord said, Matthew ten fourteen, "...and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet, verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city." and you preach the gospel and you encourage people in Christ and they mock you, just remember this. This is, this is what the Lord has made it very, very plain about his word. And we see here that Paul had departed from the synagogue. He entered into a man's house named Justice. You don't hear this name a whole lot today, but I have a friend whose name's Justice. He's a trucker. And what's very interesting about the location of this man's house is it's right next to the synagogue. It's a little church. And it's incredible how so many little churches pop up in Scripture, and actually they're talked about in the book of Revelations. These little tiny churches with a little tiny bit of people, and they did many great things. We see Paul in Romans 12, and he writes to the Romans, and when he starts off, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourself a living sacrifice. He then writes this in Romans. Isn't this what he's living right now? He's not one of these bumper sticker, crackerjack Christians that go around telling the world how to live their life, and, but in, behind the scenes, he does nothing. He's living this. And he here is basically being a living sacrifice. All right, so what happens next? I, th- I find this very fascinating. What happens next? Let me get for- go forward a little bit. First of all, can you imagine the consternation right now that these men Crispus, this man Justice, and then Sosthenes we're reading about. Two of them are rulers, they're Jewish rulers, and it says they believe in Jesus Christ with all their house. Can you imagine what they were going through at this point and how hard that was? We see here that the Lord had these men strategically placed in the middle of a real hotbed, and he sends Paul to encourage them. We can imagine that Crispus knew justice all too well. Just like, remember, Joseph of Arimathea. Think of Crispus and justice, Just justice. And then think of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Remember, they were the ones that prepared the body when Christ came off of the cross. They prepared His body. Isn't it amazing how you never hear about Him after that? Can you imagine? I can't imagine what might have happened to them. But they were in a hotbed. They were Jews. And they both admittedly pronounced that they believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed in this new Christianity. And we don't read about them a whole lot after the crucifixion. You don't read about much about Crispus and Justice much after this either. I mean, were they killed? You have to wonder. Well, Paul speaks about some of those that the Lord had sent in His path in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed... And ye are sanct, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God what 's important about that verse is the Lord showed Paul how to differentiate who were the true the, the true loyal Christian friends of his, and who were those that were out to get him and I think that 's very important as we move forward. We see that verse eight that Crispus was a chief ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with all his house. Christ comes back and he tells Paul that there are many among you. In verses 9 and 10, they hold the fort. Then he continued their preaching there another 18 months. So for 18 months, he had the protection of the Lord. Now, it gets very interesting here in verse 12. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Who's Gallio? Has anybody ever read much about Gallio and who he is? Gallio here is the deputy of Achaia. And whether you know this or not, his presence in the midst of the Roman Empire is extremely important. There was a lot to say about what he and his brother had done. Let me read you some stuff about him real quick. He was of the Roman proconsul. He had great power. And then we see now that the Jews wanted to bring Paul into the judgment seat of the proconsul. This could only mean they wanted to charge Paul with insurrection. If they wanted to charge Paul with insurrection, what happened here? Now, we've seen this before with Peter. We saw this before with Paul and Silas. What did they do? Can you imagine this happening to you because you talked about Jesus Christ? When they, when they accused him of insurrection... One of the reasons that Barabbas was going to go be crucified, they let him go, of course, because it was all multiple a kangaroo court system, just kind of like things we've seen. He was an insurrectionist. What did they do with insurrectionists? Yes, they beat them, they flogged them, they basically, they crucified them. And from what I heard and what I studied, basically, The crucifixions for an insurrectionist were very slow and very painful. And the Roman soldiers and the Romans that were involved in that could control the time frame of the crucifixion. The crucifixion could last for days. Actually, Peter's brother Andrew, if you read some history about him, he was crucified. We were talking about this Wednesday night. He was crucified sideways on a cross for three days. And he was on the side of a road. That was Peter's brother Andrew back in John chapter 1. As an insurrectionist, Paul would have been brought before the Roman proconsul, and what they wanted to do is go to Gallio and they asked Gallio, can you please handle this for us like you did Jesus? Can you take care of him and execute him and kill him? Gallio, the Gallio, he was the elder brother of the philosopher and the tragedian, Lucius Annius Seneca. Seneca in full, his full name was Lucius Annaeus Seneca, and he was by name, he was Seneca the Younger. They were born, they, were, they lived in Italy, born in Spain, died in, Gallio died in 65, and his brother was a Roman philosopher, a statesman, an orator, and a tragedian. He was Rome's intellectual figure in the midst, in the midst of the first century and was virtual ruler with his friends of the Roman world between 54 and 62 during the first phase of Emperor Nero's reign. Well, you want to know what's so interesting about Seneca? Seneca was appointed as tutor to Nero by Claudius' second wife. See, the first wife that Claudius had, actually, Seneca had a little fling with her. And he and Gallio had to go into hiding for a while. And it was, they were being pursued. And then as soon as that all cleared out, all of a sudden, those two rose to power Gallio and Seneca. Well, it's amazing how Seneca was a tragedian. You know what a tragedian is, don't you? A tragedian is one that writes playwrights and literature and all about tragedies. It's like Romeo and Juliet. They all end with these horrible, horrible, brutal endings. Well, Seneca was the second son of a wealthy family. His father Seneca, Seneca the Elder, had been famous in Rome as a teacher of rhetoric His mother, Helvia, was of excellent character and education. His elder brother was Gallio, who met St. Paul the Apostle in Achaia in 52, and his younger brother was the father of the poet Lucian. Anne took young Seneca as a boy to Rome, and there he was trained as an orator and educated in philosophy in the school of Sextai, which blended Stoicism with an ascetic Neopythagorism. Remember we were studying about that? Remember the Epicureans and the Stoics? And remember, that's who Paul was consorting with and he was talking against, basically, when he was at Mars Hill. This, Seneca, was the epicenter of the educational system in a lot of ways. He trained a lot of the big names. We see here that he was educated in philosophy, and Seneca's health suffered, and he went to recuperate in Egypt where his aunt lived with her husband and prefect, Gaius Galerius, Returning to Rome about the year 31, he began a career in politics and law. In 41, the emperor Claudius banished Seneca to Corsica on a charge of adultery, with who we were just talking about, and the influence of his wife was recalled. In Rome 49, he became praetor in 50, married Pompeian Paulina, a wealthy woman, built up a powerful group of friends, including the new prefect of the guards, Sextus, Afranius, Burris, and became tutor to the future emperor Nero. Now, while this is happening, Gallio is the proconsul. He's basically the governor, of the provincial governor of Rome. And here comes Paul. And this is, all of this is recorded at the very same time Paul is being brought in by the Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jews. He's being brought in, and paul is being tried and what does gallio do what do we just read talk about that for a minute what happens we see this is this because it's about the law that's your problem so push the, the jews. right this had to shock the jews they had to have been thinking that in a second gallio would look for an opportunity to take one of these christian insurrectionists and bring them in and kill them And Galileo turns around and he says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it. This is your problem. Exactly. He's basically washing his hands. That's a great point. He's washing his hands and he's saying, why don't you, why don't you judge him according to your law? Well, what's the problem with that? Why would the Jews not want to judge Paul by their law? You know, that's true. I forgot about that. His father was a Roman. That is important. But he hadn't broken any of the old law. They had nothing on him. There's nothing that they could go back in the Old Testament, those that actually had the the, 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 scribe, the, the writing from the scribes. He had done nothing wrong. The only thing he had done wrong is he had gone all the way back, and now two commentators two very, very prominent commentators go back and specifically talk about Deuteronomy 18.15. We're going back to the law. The only violation that they're accusing Paul of is that verse says, there will be a servant amongst you that will come and woe be unto you that don't hear him. That servant is the one that Paul is speaking about and they know who he's talking about. And they do not want Jesus Christ anywhere around them. Deuteronomy 18.15. There will be a servant among you. And they both agreed that this is what the problem was with the Jews here. Can you read that? Yes. Yeah, thank you, Lisey. Of of yes. Ye ye shall hearken, ye shall hear him. And later on you read how, Woe be unto you that don't hear him and will not listen to him. Moses knew Christ all too well. And this new religion basically is saying that Jesus Christ is eradicating the Old Testament and he's eradicating the old law and the prophets and the Jews thought that was very offensive. Where do you see that today? Does that sound familiar in evangelicalism? Has anybody seen that or heard anything about that? What about the new gospel theology that is totally abrogated? They say that the old law is abrogated, the Old Testament is outdated. And they say that only by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses away all of our sins, which is perfectly true, but it gives them reason to not have the old law as part of their standard. Christ didn't come to, to destroy the law. What did he do? Fulfill the law, right? He enhanced it. He pronounced it. He shed light on it. And so today, this wonderful book of the commandments, that says, thou shalt steal, thou shalt not steal. Who wants anybody to rip them off? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What couple wants to go into a marriage thinking that their spouse is going to commit adultery? Thou shalt not kill. Who wants to be sitting here next week with one of their family members murdered out on the street? Those laws still to this day protect us. And today people don't even want them. You know I'm right. You know that they don't want them in schools anymore. They've taken them out. They don't even want them hanging on them. Paul was here to pronounce them and to give a wonderful encouragement of them. What happened to Gallio? what happened to Seneca, being the politicians they were, does anyone know what happened to them at the end? Did, did, did anybody heard the story? Seneca is actually very popular, if, you've been, if you pay attention. He was extremely, to this day, with Greek philosophy and the, the teachings of philosophy, Seneca's name comes up often because of the impact that he had on the Greek and the Roman um, culture back then. But anyway, basically what happened here is the murder of Claudius in 54 pushed Seneca and Burris to the top. Their friends held the great army commands on the German and Parthian frontiers. Nero's first public speech was drafted by Seneca. And we know who Nero is. He promised liberty for the Senate. Boy, that sounds very familiar. And an end to the influence of freed men and women. Agrippina, Nero's mother, was resolved that her influence should continue, and there were other powerful enemies. But Seneca and Burrus, although provincials from Spain and Gaul, understood the problems of the Roman world. They introduced fiscal and judicial reforms and fostered a more humane attitude towards slaves. Their nominee, Cribolo defeated the Parthians in Britain. A more enlightened administration followed the quashing of Queen Bodica's rebellion, and this big rebellion actually had a rising amongst them. A lie went out. This never happens in our politics, does it? Somebody said that basically Gallio and Seneca were getting ready to form a coup against Nero. And it started spreading all throughout the Roman provinces. It wasn't true. They, were, they wanted to take over, and basically what happened was they, they were approached by some proconsul. I'm not sure, I didn't get to read that, but somebody with prominent authority said, you have one of two choices. You can either go to a horrible, executed, very slow death, or you can eradicate yourself. And they both committed suicide. That's how they ended. Gallio committed suicide. Seneca committed suicide. And basically Seneca did not want to give in to basically his tragedy and playwrights and his philosophy. And all. He had a lot of impact on some of the, the great, you know, some of the great works and the writings. And Nero forced Seneca to commit suicide. Galileo also took his own life. Isn't that sad? Aren't you glad you're a Christian now? We've just been regarding the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Is He your Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that He is. When He gives His word, there is absolutely no doubt regarding the authenticity of the nature of whether it will be carried out or not because... Or there's no doubt that it will be carried out and there's no doubt that when the Lord guarantees it, that it will happen. He told Paul that in no way he was going to be hurt. And what happened here? Did you catch this? Did you catch the fact that the proconsul of the Roman Empire that had the power to kill him protected him? I did a little more digging. It actually, it actually I, read, I read some accounts that actually Seneca became Paul's minister Not in the gospel, but in the minister and of the sense that he protected Paul. This Seneca actually spent time with Paul. And he actually, by his power, Seneca had power, he pushed off the other Roman part of the Roman and the soldiers from coming and getting him. These two men who had the power to kill the Christian church, a very man that was actually tutoring Nero, who kills Paul, protected Paul. And in 18 months, what did Jesus tell him? He said, if you are in Corinth, not one hair on your head will be touched. And even the Lord used the Roman Empire to protect Paul from the Jewish council that wanted to kill him. They had already stoned him once. This sounds kind of dramatic, and I hope this pierces your heart. But what it did for me, and it shows me, it reifies, Christ is up there. And when he says he's going to do what he's going to do, we have nothing to worry about. Are we going to worry? Yes. Is it going to get tough and are things going to shock us? Yes. But they don't shock him. And he never sleeps. He never sleeps. He never, he never turns his back to us. And here is Paul right here getting ready to go into Kenshria. And, we, and then we're going to be seeing what happens next. I can't get into that quite yet. But it's amazing how Paul is accused And he is being accused of persuading men to worship contrary to the laws, what he was accused of. It's what they did not accuse Paul of that really exposes how they were trying to reinterpret and rewrite scripture, which is happening a lot today. First of all, they did this with violence and a very furious heart. Never forget when they came after Jesus, they did it with a very violent heart. They didn't do it with love. They didn't do it with due process. It was all generalizations calling him names with no details and an onslaught to kill him right on the spot. That's what happened here with Paul. This type, type of disposition exposes true lies. Never will a lie ever be the truth, and it will never not be exposed. It might fester for a while, but it will be brought out into the open eventually. Here's what they did not accuse him of. They could not charge Paul with persuading men to worship God at all or to worship other gods. So then what was he doing against the law? What that meant was he persuaded men to worship the true and living God, not false gods. Now, the Jews also were very adept at that. They knew that Moses wrote, you are not to worship anything with stone, wood, or metal. So, he didn't violate that. They 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 spoke about God. He told them to worship the very God that they thought they were talking about. But there was a little bit of a problem. There was a twist to what Paul was teaching. The God he was talking about is Jesus Christ, who is God, and they hated that. They hated that fact that he was called the Messiah. They, they despised that. They couldn't even call Christ a false god. They, that Those words never came out of their mouths. They were very car- careful at what they said regarding Jesus Christ, but make no doubt about it, they hated Christ. They are what is called today non-Messianic Jews. A non-Messianic Jew is a true, unrepentant non-believer. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3 says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And we are being proved today. To the end of time, every man will be proved as to whether they truly believe in Jesus Christ or they don't. And remember in Isaiah, what does the verse say in Isaiah? Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. So here we see that the Jews are away from their home synagogue in Jerusalem and are acting according to their own devices in Corinth at another synagogue. Paul is no way teaching them to act against their law, but they come out and they say it anyway. Paul is teaching that the law came from the true Messiah, that the Jesus Christ was there. He is the one that fulfills the law, and he encourages it. And this was imperative for the Jews to know. Is it any wonder why Paul went into each town and went to the Jews first? That's one of, I believe that's one of his missions. He was going to the synagogues and he would go to the Jews first and he would beg them, you know the law, remember the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He didn't come to turn it around. He didn't come to abrogate it or destroy it. And the more he taught that, the more they kicked him out. But all along the way, there were those that followed, that there were those that came out of nowhere. Look at Crispus. Look at Justice. Look at these men that were actually rulers in the synagogue And it says that they believe Jesus Christ with all their hearts in their house. They're there. That's why I believe it's so one of the many, many reasons it's so important that these doors are open in this little tiny town. They're there. They're out there. And we just pray that they'll worship with us. Or we pray that someone will come out that maybe doesn't know the Lord and come in here. And that they want to find out about Jesus Christ and somehow... You walk right into the front door before anybody even opens their mouth. Look what's on the track rack out there. You have those brochures for the church. that are, I, You can give them out as a track because they're filled with Bible verses. Look at the tracks and look at all the publications redeeming the times when they come in here. There's so many reasons why it's so important that the, we know the Lord has us right where He wants us, right here. And so just to end, and this is an opening again for next week, there's one thought I want about I want to give about Sosthenes. Now he's also a Jewish ruler, and there's Sosthenes why, why did they beat him? Why? We see that they beat the man. Well, there's another I was I was reading this week, and as I looked at that, there's so many other ways of looking at that. It could have been that the Jews beat Sosthenes because he failed. And boy, aren't we glad that he failed. Sosthenes loved the Lord and he did everything he could to protect Paul. He was a good friend. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Sosthenes was a brother in Christ and the Lord still had him strategically placed as a ruler. He had authority. And when, when Galilee, he was brought before Gallio, and Gallio did nothing, they beat Sosthenes because they were furious at him. Don't ever think in our court systems here in America. I mean, it's far more still possible than you would think back in the Roman Empire that there are not Christians on the bench, that there are not Christian lawyers and Christians there that will help you. I had one in southern Pennsylvania. In fact, he used to run up against Arlen Specter. He would lose because it's so liberal there, but that man loved Christ, and he was wonderful to deal with. They're there, and that's what the Lord is encouraging us through, through these words. All right. Let's see. It's getting kind of late. We better finish. Um, hey, it's Dave, could you close us this morning? We'll talk about Sosthenes next week.